Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. How are we doing today? Good. My name is Charlie. If we haven't met, I'm the senior pastor here. I'd love to meet you. One thing I love about CBC is we really are passionate about equipping people to do the work of Jesus. And so I want to say thanks to Paul for filling in for the last three weeks, everybody, right? All right, come on, a little church hand clap. That's how you know it's good. Bring that Baptist out. There you go. Um, Yeah, Andy's been on paternity leave for three weeks so he can sleep in and watch Jamie work, and he's done a great job uh, from what I've talked to him about. And then today, actually, one of, honestly, the best parts over the last year for me that we're celebrating is we've developed a teaching team and equipped people to bring the word of the Lord to the people of the Lord. So today, Pete is going to come up here. He's the chairman of our elder board, an all-around good guy. He's going to come up here and and teach through Titus uh, 1, 5 through 9. And before we do that, we're going to start like we start every Sunday morning. We, we live in a culture that constantly criticizes and finds fault. And we come to this space knowing full well this morning that God is not only here, but he has a word for you and for me. That as we open the scripture, the spirit will guide us and direct us into a greater understanding of how good God is. And we know that's going to happen. And so we're going to start just by praying that the Holy Spirit might lead and guide us today by praying that God might show us his goodness through the word that Pete's going to bring, and by praying for Pete that God uses his preparation to show us the bigger picture and the the goodness of the gospel. So join me and let's pray. God, I'm excited to be here this morning, that that we can just show up and, and again remember what's truly important, that we can show up knowing that we have a God that will meet us where we're at knowing that we have a God that will speak to us in the middle of whatever part of life we're at. God, we pray that you speak to us today. Holy Spirit, speak to our spirit as we open the scriptures so that we might see and understand and be able to live out the rhythms of Jesus. If you're comfortable, I'd ask that you just take a couple seconds and say a silent prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit to do just that, to lead and guide your spirit this morning. I ask that you pray for Pete, that God might use his preparation uh, to show us a bigger picture of the fullness of the gospel that we say, that we follow, of the God that we worship this morning. So pray for Pete. Pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people says... Amen, everybody. Pete, Titus, 1, 5 through 9. You can open there if you get there. All right. Great to be with you here this morning. I'm blessed to serve, as Charlie said, as an elder here at Crossroads and be part of the teaching team. I'm glad you could be here in person or online. I particularly appreciate those of you who knew ahead of time I was speaking and came anyway. 
as I talked to Charlie about where in Titus I might jump in, I suggested to him that there were two places I thought I might teach in, in Titus. One, this passage on the elders that I'm going to do this morning, and the other passage was about older men. Charlie looked at me and he said, Pete, you're not old enough to teach the older men passage. <laughs> I can tell you that Charlie continues to grow in knowledge and stature. <laughs> no, he didn't say that, but I'm sure he was thinking it. I'm sure he was thinking it. Last week, Charlie in her book, introduced the book of Titus, talked about the background of the culture there in Crete, the challenges associated with the believers that were trying to grow and worship in that church. What do you think of when you hear the word chaos? As a pilot, we got trained in lots of emergency procedures. A couple decades ago, I was finishing a mission on a Friday afternoon. We were leaving Charleston, flying back to New Jersey to my home base, climbing through 20,000 feet, and all of a sudden there's a pop and a bang. We lost our cabin pressurization. Now, you all know about cabin pressurization. You've flown on an airplane. That's when they tell you the mask is going to fall out of the ceiling, that's what we're talking about, cabin depressurization. We don't have enough air at 20,000 feet to breathe. But I've encountered this dozens of times in the simulator. Oxygen mask on, throttles idle. Point the nose down, get below 10,000 feet to where we can breathe. Co-pilot, tell air traffic control, we've got an emergency, we're descending. Order. No chaos, based on training, lots of practice. That wasn't the case in the back end of the airplane. I had two loadmasters who were fully trained. They were fine. But we had an 18-year-old, linebacker-sized maintenance person who wasn't trained. And they were trying to tackle him and get his oxygen mask on. And there was a lot of chaos in the back of the airplane. I was able to take care of that. No, I forgot to say. I didn't even spill my coffee on the way down. <laughs> There's value in order, leadership, structure, process, procedures. An anonymous Navy SEAL is said to have said, under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training. The hard truth is that under pressure, experiencing a chaotic situation, we actually often fall back into old habits, unhealthy habits that aren't helpful. So we need training, many repetitions in the simulator in my flying experience, for example. First without pressure and then with pressure, someone yelling in your ear until those procedures, those processes become automatic and I can better respond to an emergency type situation. Your experiences are probably different but we've all experienced chaos in our lives. Recently, we've been remembering the chaos of 9-11 in New York City. But there was a great contrast. There was order. First responders, firefighters, policemen, trained, running into buildings, compared to the chaos of people untrained running out of buildings. Since 20, early 2020, the chaos of COVID. Individually, as families, our businesses, our church, all affected. Studies verify what's probably pretty obvious to all of us, but a May 2020, in time of COVID, of 
1,800 plus mothers who had three to six year olds showed the value of family routines, of order and orderly routines. Mothers with bedtime routines, their children got more sleep. Mothers who viewed routine as very important, their kids had less screen time. But even before COVID, in 2015, a study looked at over 1,800 high school students in Los Angeles. And uh, they had something they called chaos. Um, the survey was for chaos, hubbub, and order scale, basically measuring the amount of chaos that these kids, these high school students were experiencing at home. Not surprising, a higher chaos survey score was associated with increased odds of drinking, smoking, substance use at school, and fighting. Lots of unhealthy behaviors. And of course, COVID-19 continues to create disorder in our schools. Every day we see a school or a class being shut down, a sporting event being canceled because of the impact. But there's other chaos and disorder. We've seen it in churches, high-profile churches and pastors in Seattle and Chicago fell, if you will, causing chaos, disorder within their church bodies. A Gallup 2021 poll, a poll they've been doing since the mid-70s, measures the confidence in church and organized religion. And so as part of the poll, they ask, uh, what percentage of people you have a great deal or quite a lot of trust and confidence in the church or organized religion? From 1975 until 1995, that stayed pretty, pretty stable, right around 60 to 65 percent. But since 1995, it's been steadily decreasing until this year, 2021, that Gallup survey said that only 37% of people put quite a great deal or quite a lot of trust in their church or organized religion. But these negative events, negative leader events, decreasing confidence, it doesn't negate the need for leadership, in fact, highlights the need for biblical solid leadership to provide order within our church body. So chaos disorder by any measure was an apt description of Crete, a secular culture. The believers were being affected both outside the church and inside the church with this culture that they were so involved in and was pressing in on them. And so in Titus 1, 5 through 9, into that chaos, Paul sends Titus. And he says, set in order the church at Crete, starting with selecting elders. So in our time this morning, we're going to look at the scripture requirements for elders, both character and their competence. Um, a writer many years ago talked about the idea that integrity, not integrity telling the truth, but integrity being a whole person was about character and competence. And he said, you know, if you know, if you're protecting your finances, you might be more concerned about the character of your financial advisor. But if you're going to have a surgery done, you maybe care more about the competence of your surgeon than their character. It's probably some of both, but for us as believers and certainly as leaders, I believe we're required to have both character and competence. But that perhaps character, in fact, is the starting point, the foundation, and that competence flows out of that character. Because we all know people who are extremely, extremely competent but for whom their character hasn't kept up in terms of preparation 
with disastrous results. So we'll look at character competence, our elder board roles and processes, and then some, a role and responsibility you all can play here in the church. So let's jump into the scripture. Starting in verse 5, Paul says two jobs, Titus, set an order, appoint elders. Why does he need to set an order? God chose to use the church, his means and medium to internally within the body grow believers, but also externally influence society, influence the culture around us. God is a God of order. He intends our churches to be places of order. Great word, respite, a respite that contrasts with the chaos of our culture. Respite that's seen as inviting to those in the world who are experiencing disorder and chaos. And so it's our responsibility as elders to provide that orderly structure that supports accomplishing God's purpose in the church. So how to set an order? Step one, appoint elders, appoint leaderships. The elder concept was well known both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, not only by Jewish, but other cultures. An elder refers to someone with mature spiritual experience and understanding, knows and does knowledge. Paul doesn't explain why elders. It was just understood. Elders in that day and time, older, would lead. In the Old Testament, there were 70 elders with Moses at the giving of the law in Exodus 24. Seventy elders were selected to bear the burden with Moses in Numbers 11. Elders were part of the Jewish Sanhedrin at the time of Jesus. And that concept of elder leadership carried over naturally into the New Testament church. Elder leadership provides structure. We see it as early as Acts 6 in the new church. There were widows whose needs were not being met. And so the disciples, the elders, if you will, of the church, appointed deacons, initially men, later women, to meet those unmet needs in the church. They did their job so that the disciples could continue to do their job to preach and to teach. In verse 6, 7 and 8, Paul begins describing the qualifications to be an elder, character qualities We are positionally blameless. That's a hard word, blameless. We're positionally blameless in Christ as believers. Now, but not yet. We're not perfect yet. We won't be in this life. But we're called to increasing spiritual growth as we go. Not perfect. And again, we're going to talk about the qualifications for elders but I would suggest as you look at the New Testament that all of these character qualities and the doing qualities in some sense are all things that we're all called to as believers, not just elders. We're all called to grow spiritually in this regard. So ongoing spiritual work, progress, uh, <laughs> progressive, day by day, practical, what we think and do, sanctification, spiritual growth. 1 Corinthians 3.18 says we're changed into his image from one degree of glory to another. Elders aren't infallible. Those of you who know us well know that's the case. But we're striving to get better. We're striving to grow spiritually. We aspire to Christ, increasing Christ-likeness. 
But like Paul, as he wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 3.12, not that I've already attained this, that is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. So blameless, individually blameless within the family, a husband of one wife, faithful to his wife, in contrast to the culture where there were many wives, rampant, promiscuous sex, a radical concept for this culture. You know, marriage requires work. Pam and I celebrated 46 years a few weeks ago. Now, I have to tell you, as you probably know, that's a testament to God's grace and Pam's patience. (laughs) But I was reminded about 10 years into our marriage, we went to a marriage retreat. And I thought things were going pretty well and we went to a weekend retreat and it wasn't nearly as much fun as I expected. (laughs) Found that there are some communication differences. So for example, she would ask when I got home from work, how was work? And I'd say, fine. And I would ask her how her day was and well, let's just say she would give me a longer explanation. She was frustrated I didn't give any detail. I was frustrated, what's the bottom line? And so part of that retreat was to learn how to be more flexible in our communication in order to meet the needs of the other person to this day. I would say half of Pam's sentences when she talks to me start with, the bottom line is... (laughs) We have a marriage retreat coming up in a few weeks, 15, 16 October. What might God provide you if you take advantage of this opportunity? I hope you'll join me there. He also talks about believing children. Now, again, we can't control the choices of our children. Our job is to provide an environment for our children where they might come to know Christ. We do parent dedications, asking them to commit to providing an environment that would lead to their children coming to faith in Christ. I've heard it taught in some other places that divorce or kids that don't believe somehow disqualifies one from serving. I don't believe that's what this passage teaches. Glad to discuss it over coffee if you'd like. God is a God of grace and he meets us with that grace. The last part, he says, not charged with dissipation with rebellion. Depending on your version of the scripture, there may or may not be a comma there. It's a little confusing. Is it the children that aren't supposed to be dissipated or rebellion? Well, I, I think most common, some would fall inside. Yeah, it's children. I fall on the side. He's going back to the elders. This is about our community reputation, not with dissipation, riotous living, immorality, rebellion, unruly, out of control. The prodigal son, an example of that kind of behavior as he left his father's home. Again, qualities that we should look for in our elders, the qualities that God calls each of us to eventually grow into. Paul continues in verse 7, talking about the qualifications of an overseer. He changes the terminology, but still talking to the same group of people. Paul uses interchangeably in the New Testament the term elder and overseer. In Acts 20, 
he calls to talk to the Ephesian elders, and he starts in verse 17, he addresses them as elders, and by the time he gets to verse 28, he talks to them as overseers, two different names for the same group of people. An overseer in that time was in charge of the household. He was a chief servant. He was responsible for making sure the other servants did the right things the right way. Blameless, a new list of character qualities, arrogance, anger, drunkenness, violence, greed, not what we should be controlled by. Those are selfish desires that negatively impact our ability to serve others. Arrogance. As the ops group commander, when I went to Altus in 1994, um, I have to admit to you that I was a bit of an arrogant guy. I went in, been promoted early, I'd been selected for wing command, lots of things going my way. Things didn't finish that well, but at my farewell party, um, they had a farewell party, and the theme of the farewell party was the look. The look? They had this picture of, this very stern picture of me in uniform, and the whole idea was that I would often approach people, they would engage me, and I would give them the look. And so the whole party was about all the people telling about how I had given them the look, including my boss, the wing commander, and of course, Pam, my wife. <laughs> you know, what was the look? Well, the look was a response that I didn't say anything. I just looked, but what they probably thought I was thinking is, or what I must admit, I probably was thinking, what are you thinking? What are you smoking? That's crazy, without saying anything. It was fun that night, but in retrospect, there was some arrogance there that was inappropriate. What controls me? Arrogance. What controls you? Anger. Greed. We're to be controlled and compelled by the love of Christ. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, following Christ's example of loving other people. Why do we need to have the qualities? Because we've been entrusted with God's work. 1 Peter 5, Peter, writing to elders as an elder, gives the purpose, give a shepherd's care to God's flock among you so that when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory. What's the work? Give a shepherd's care to the flock that we've been assigned. We're under shepherds, accountable to the health of the flock to who? To the chief shepherd, Jesus. We're stewards, managers, not owners. And we look, as you continue and see in verse 2 and 3, parallels with the Titus 1-7 passage. A shepherd's care, not a hireling, not merely as a duty, but willingly. Not greedy, not for shameful profit, but eagerly. Not arrogant. Do not lord it over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. We lead by example and invitation, not by coercion or control. Paul continues with a more positive list of character qualities. Hospitable showing hospitality without complaining, 
You'll get grace hospitality when you come to our house, but I must admit it's probably more <laughs> a benefit, uh, coming from Pam than from me, but I'm trying to learn from her. Devoted to what is good, to good things, to good people, sensible, upright, self-controlled, self-disciplined, not being controlled by those other things that we saw in verse 7. These character qualities demonstrate that the love of Christ, in fact, controls me. Commentator Thomas Constable says these verse 8 qualities are exemplary Christian behavior for the sake of outsiders, although I would suggest it's for our benefit inside the church as well. An inviting environment within the body in contrast to the disorder and chaos in the culture. Exemplary Christian behavior, elders leading by example and invitation. So after laying out the qualities, the character qualities, what are the competencies that he requires of us as elders? One pastor said, it's possible to be good without doing good. That's bad. Godly character needs to be accompanied by godly activity. Competence produces fruit, action, obedience, care for those we serve. Jesus challenged the Pharisees all the time. Because the Pharisees, want, their goal was to be obedient to the law, but that obedience led to no action for the benefit of others. Their hearts were inspired to any action. So what are the competencies? First, know and hold firm the message, the faithful, reliable message of the resurrected Jesus. That's the center of our teaching. That's the foundation of our faith. We demonstrate that in our attitudes, our actions, our doctrinal statements lined up, keeping Christ's resurrection in the center. We know and hold firm to that faithful, reliable message, and then we can exhort. Exhortation is more than asking, beseeching, admonishing, entreating, using healthy, sound teaching, doctrinally appropriate in accordance with the scripture. We do it in a positive way. We do it sensitively in the sense of what does the person need? Most of you who have been leaders recognize different personalities require different things. Some require a soft touch. Others require a firmer touch. And perhaps even negative admonition. We need to hold people accountable appropriately with grace and truth. We can't do that. We can't do it in a sensitive and a reasonable manner without knowing who you are. So we want to get to know you, who you are, to meet you where you are, to know the challenges, the threats, the pressures you're feeling, and how we might be able to help. We want to be engaged elders, knowing firsthand through Leadership engagement through our small groups, one-on-one -on -one coffees, ministry, support. How it is you're doing, what is it is that we can do to help. And finally, there's correction. Correcting those who teach against. Against what? Against that reliable message, Christ resurrected. The most unloving thing we can do is not correct someone who's captured by false teaching. 
2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 gives a path, if you will, a means of restoring order with regard to false teaching. Many of you know this verse. Every scripture is inspired by God, useful for teaching. What is the path? Reproof, telling you that you're off the path. Correction, how to get back on the path. And training, how to better stay on the path. These can be steps to restoring order for a person who's caught, who's captured in false teaching. In summary, we need to be elders who lead with character, with competence. But that's just the means. The outcome we're looking for is an orderly structure that the church might accomplish the purpose for which God created the church. So, briefly... Let me talk about our church government here at Crossroads. We're governed by a constitution, which includes a doctrinal statement, our method of church government. We govern through the leadership of elders. It uh, describes our offices and responsibilities, pastors, elders, deacons, and trustees. Our constitution lays out an elder selection process. We just went through that. How we identify candidates, nominees, the process of interviewing, their own self-examination, our examination, a public announcement to you all to let you know that we're considering and is there anything we need to know about that candidate. Public and private examination first, and then we vote as elders as to whether to accept that person onto the board. Generally takes three or four months of going through a process of prayer, of engagement, If you have questions about the process, our newest elder, John Zetzman, um, has graciously agreed to chat with any of you who have any questions about the process and and how it went. Thanks, John. We have elder meetings twice a month. The first is normally a business meeting, strategy, finance, ministry, needs and opportunities. The second meeting is prayer and Bible study. We go to the scripture. We study the scripture so that we continue to grow. Sometimes we read a book. We recently read Ruth Haley Barton's book, Pursuing God's Will Together, a discernment practice for leadership groups. And we took some of the things we learned in that book and have applied them to be more effective in discerning as we work through our elder meetings. Our mission, our strategy, our values, our relational covenant, covenant all provide additional structure, that orderly framework, that allows God's purpose to be established. It's orderly, process and procedures, but there's freedom within the boundaries. The boundaries, sound doctrine, boundaries of strategy, we're a small group church. There are lots of great ministry activities out there that we don't participate in, not because they're wrong, but we want to focus our full attention on on our means, our process, to be an excellent small group church. We allow our leaders great freedom in terms of the wide array of methods, approaches that they use in their Bible studies, and yet we respectfully ask them to lead their groups in accordance with our doctrine, with leadership principles, and our guide to small group leadership. Order fights chaos and disorder. So, How can we do this together? First of all, spiritual growth for all of us. Spiritual disciplines. 
Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself in godliness. Well, what might that look like? Well, in part, it's some spiritual disciplines and practices. As you know, every year in January, Charlie typically talks about a spiritual discipline or a practice that moves us, improves, increases our spiritual growth, our Christ-likeness. Pastor John Ortberg defines training as arranging your life around certain practices that will enable you to do in the future what you cannot now do by willpower alone. I can't run a 10K tomorrow, but if I trained properly, I couldn't do it by trying harder, but if I trained properly, did the right things with my body, and my, I could probably get strong enough to run a 10K. I love the quote, champions are not made in the arena, they're only crowned there. I applied that quote to my Air Force wing as we prepared for our operational inspection, the biggest inspection, the biggest test for any wing commander. I challenged them, they had to train, 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 so that they'd be prepared when the inspectors came to test them in the process and procedures. And of course, it applies to the Cowboys. They spent this whole last week, right? Preparing. Proper preparation leads to orderly ability to execute, sometimes. and ultimately to win on Sunday or Monday, right? They win, but it's a result of proper preparation training process. You and I, each of us growing spiritually through our own selection of spiritual disciplines can support and contribute to the healthy CBC order, to a healthy CBC body. And that commitment starts with us, we need to lead, set the example in that regard. In character and competence, we're not infallible, but we aspire to be examples of increasing Christ-likeness, encouraging you all to grow as well. And we need your prayer. Pray for us. Pray for our meetings. Pray for decisions we face. Pray for unlikely circumstances that show up that we need to deal with. We want to provide you an orderly environment, one that supports your spiritual growth, helps you all be thriving contributors in the body, and healthy influencers as you leave today and go out into the culture that has lots of chaos. And finally, we'd ask you to engage with us. Help us get to know you, know about your needs, and what you see is the needs for the body. You can grab us before or after church service. When you see us in the building during the week, call us. We're glad to set up coffee and talk about what you want to talk about. Join us at one of our periodic lead meetings. Or join us next Sunday, October 3rd, as we institute a new process of an elder listening session after next week's service. Order fights chaos. Imagine what might be possible, what we might do together in the next month, in the next quarter, in the next year, if together as individuals, as a church body, we could be growing spiritually, encouraging one another, an orderly church, overcoming the chaos of the world around us. We demonstrate the way of Jesus and invite people into respite and calm, 
and we'd be a positive influence in the kingdom for the chaos that's around us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for our elders, for all of our leaders. I pray today that we might shepherd the flocks you've given us well. I pray that we'd provide a shepherd's care, willingly, eagerly, examples to the flock. Give all of us as leaders an extraordinary sacrificial love for the people we shepherd for this body of Christ, that you might be glorified in this body and in our community. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.